is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thanks for joining us another Monday night from 7 to 9. Tonight, we're discussing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And we've got a great, great slate of guests here tonight. Uh, For starters, we have Andrew Hinkis, who is a tech-savvy attorney that was recently quoted in the Miami Daily Business Review about Bitcoin's evolution from public confusion into a regulated cryptocurrency. Also, in studio right now, we've got John Paul Elias from Mech 261. It's a downtown Miami business incubator that hosts numerous startups, mostly that have been funded, right? Yes. And uh, you, they're at mech261.org if you're interested. They office, offer executive office space and suites in the heart of downtown Miami at 261 Northeast 1st Street. And JP just happens to be an incredible Bitcoin enthusiast. In addition to having started his own tech startup called Re-E-Match. This is the Only in Miami show. Later, we're going to have Brian Breslin of Refresh Miami joining us. And in about four minutes, we're going to start a Google Hangout. So that you can actually watch some of this broadcast streamed live over your computer if you're at home listening at www.refreshmiami.com. Only in Miami Show.com. That's right. It's right at the top of the page. You can't miss it. www.onlyinmiamishow.com. It's been a busy weekend. I think the busiest of the year. We had the Ultra Festival, the Legal in Florida Medical Marijuana uh, Business Conference was this weekend. We also had the Atlantic City's Startup Miami Conference. And last week, there was a very, very exciting chat put on by the New Leaders Council uh, called Why Cities Matter. Uh, I've only got a few minutes to talk with you, the listening audience, so I'm going to try and be brief on each one. Um, One of these happened last week, the New Leaders Conference. It was Why Cities Matter featuring Manny Diaz. I strongly encourage all of our listeners to go and check out my Huffington Post blog. It's HuffingtonPost.com slash Grant Dash Stern. If you've listened before, you've heard me talk about Manny Diaz and his decision to represent Walmart in the fight against Midtown residents. And that article on Huffington Post, it's called Manny Transformed, Walmart's Advocate. The article details everything that we discussed at the new leadership, uh, new leaders conference meeting. And there's a hashtag for that. It's NLC blueprint. If you want to check it out, we'll be discussing that more probably a little later. I stopped by the Atlantic cities conference today, and it's usually one of the best conferences in South Florida. It brings together an incredible group of people. And definitely the group of people today was second to none. Um, we ran into quite a few, you know, not just attorneys and doctors, but entrepreneurs, um, some people that are into politics. Uh, you know, one gentleman I met, he's doing Facebook advertising. He, you know, he and I have been chatting online and we finally met in person at the con- uh, the conference. 
and he explained to me how Facebook advertising, if you only pour in about 120000 a day, does extremely well. And he's got some very advanced uh, tools he uses to do that. And I mean, overall, it's, it's a great conference for the networking. Um, but the, the Miami Beach Mayor, Philip Levine, uh, also appeared, uh, which was very interesting because his appearance was, quote, a rebuttal uh, to argue that Miami Beach is not a startup city. And I feel personally that it displays an unusual amount of lack of vision by a politician. I think that Miami Beach voters are very fortunate that they elect their mayor every two years because after he canceled the convention center project, I really don't understand where he's going at things from. He's saying that Miami Beach should be entertaining people. That's the future of Miami Beach. He says there's no cheap office space on Miami Beach. He's wrong. I mean, he's plain wrong. He's never been to the north side of Miami Beach. It's called North Beach, but it's part of the city of Miami Beach, last I checked. Tons of cheap office space. The neighborhood is called Little Little Buenos Aires. Maybe that's part of the confusion. Maybe he's a little disinterested in that neighborhood, and he's focusing on South Beach. But it's unfortunate. The city of Miami Beach has the 1% of mayors. He's a very wealthy man, and he made his money by starting a tech company on Miami Beach. And Philip Levine now says it's a bad place to start up a tech company when that's exactly how he made his money. To me, as somebody who's attended the micro venture capital seminar at Miami Beach's Chamber of Commerce, I'm really befuddled that the, the mayor of Miami Beach would say that his city is not hospitable to start up businesses at all. In fact, my company, Morningside Mortgage, was headquartered on Lincoln Road when it was a brand new company. And it's because an expensive office space was there. And it's still fairly within reason. Anyhow, we're going to start talking about Bitcoin in just a minute. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami. South Florida MS Walk for a Cure, Saturday, April 5th in Coral Gables. Registration is set to begin at 7 a.m. with pre-festivities at 8. The walk begins at 8.30. For more information, visit walkms.org or call Denise, 954-731-4224. Walkms.org, walking for a cure. Come celebrate people, passion, and philanthropy during Philanthropist, the nation's largest nonprofit festival, taking place Saturday, April 12th at Miami-Dade College, Wolfson Campus. Come ready to learn how you can help change the world. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome to the show, Drew. Well, hey, Grant. It's great to be here. It's good to have you back. 
<laughs> thanks for having me back, and I appreciate the invite. Uh, this is going to be a good episode. I hope so. And JP, thanks for coming on the show tonight. No, thanks short. for having me here, Grant. It's great to have you, man. So I'm going to try, I think in four minutes it says, we're going to have the uh, simulcast, the web simulcast, if it hasn't started yet. And uh, let's start off. I mean, JP, give give our audience a very brief overview. What is Bitcoin? All right. Well, Bitcoin, it's a, uh, it's a cryptocurrency, and it's a decentralized uh, way of uh, having a currency. So basically, there's no banks that control it. It's all controlled by transaction terminals, which are the machines running Bitcoin clients. And then that is what enables you to either do transactions or Bitcoin mine. When you Bitcoin mine, your computer or supercomputer, whichever you want to, whatever you want to call it, has to do complex, uh, has to solve complex algorithms to create um, transaction. Uh, how do you say this? Uh, you you want to make sure that the transaction was there so that there is no fraud because on Bitcoin, there is no counterfeiting because once there is a duplicate coin that was produced, that coin has to be checked by every transaction terminal that was online at the creation of that coin. So if there was no, uh, let's say one computer out of the whole transaction series didn't have record of that coin being made, it gets tossed out. So that's one of the big key points of why uh, cryptocurrency is good because there's 0% uh, chargebacks on uh, on transactions with Bitcoin, and there's 100 uh, percent free counterfeiting on this, so you can't really counterfeit Bitcoins. And explain what cryptography is in a very brief nutshell. I know you can go on for hours explaining <laughs> cryptography. Anybody could. I mean, it's a very dense. Subject. Yes. Uh, well, basically, um, you have a centralized uh, difficulty multiplier that gets applied to these algorithms that get solved by your machines. Right, but cryptography itself, it's it's the use of mathematics mm-hmm. to, to, you know, yeah, create it, like a code. Yes, and then that code is then uh, deciphered by the client. And basically what you do have is your coin is a blockchain of algorithms comprised into a cryptography, and that's what makes a Bitcoin valuable. Okay. So it's unique. Yes. It's uniquely identified and nobody can copy it. Exactly. All right. So, Drew, explain to our audience a little bit about, like, how is this being regulated? This is a currency that's not controlled by the government. You know, Grant, it's interesting because this is something that's very new and novel. On one hand, most currencies that we're all familiar with are issued by governments. They're typically only transacted with within the government, the territory of the government that issues that money. It is based upon either some sort of asset, and that refers to the gold or silver standard that Americans might be familiar with, and it is um, controlled to a certain degree by the government who can decide that they want to run more dollars, buy back some more dollars, and uh, that government manipulation through some sort of central authority here we have the in the u.s we have the fed for instance um, provides a lot of comfort to both people who want to use that money as well as to banking institutions and other international players who look at it and have a lot of comfort Um, what's more interesting about bitcoin is not so much um, that it is not tied to any certain specific country which in and of itself is something novel in you know modern economics but what's more interesting about it is that it's not regulated the way that currency is in the U.S. Uh, can you give me one of those uh, extra headphones, please? Thanks, guys. Yeah. 
Now, we just started the webcast, so anybody can check it out at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Great, great. Okay. Everybody should be able to hear us again. So, I mean, there's there's no country controlling this. This is a, a currency of the people, by the people, for the people. Exactly. It, it seems that way. It seems that way. It's interesting, though. This is currency that was created by a software program that a group of individuals have decided that they agree to maintain. And as uh, JP was alluding to a little bit earlier, it does something that other currencies don't do. If I want to – let's say I wanted to send a Bitcoin to Grant, we would both exchange something called a public key, which is the way to identify ourselves to the outside world. But we would also sort of open our kimonos and show each other our private keys. That combination of public and private key together allows a person who's looking at the big ledger of transactions, that's called the blockchain, to actually identify who the people are who are making this transaction. Now, people who transact in Bitcoin will let their public key be known because, as a matter of fact, it is public record. However, the private key is something that should be jealously guarded because once you have someone's public and private key together – you essentially have access to all of the You Bitcoin. have their wallet. It's like the key to their wallet, basically. Exactly. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. So what's very – another thing aspect that's very interesting about Bitcoin is besides for the fact that it's a unit of money which can be spent, although the IRS has a different opinion. We can get to that in a second. The other thing that's very interesting is the blockchain, which JP alluded to, and that is it's this big ledger, and you can watch each Bitcoin go back and forth among different people. And the mining that JP alluded to is, in fact, a process that computers do. And what they're actually doing is solving a whole bunch of really complicated math problems. And those math problems are actually validating all of the transactions that have occurred on the bitchain, on the blockchain. That is how there cannot be double spending or double transferring of any uh, Bitcoin because, in fact, it has to be validated over and over and over. And if any computer that's mining finds something that says it's not right, is it 10 times? No, it's uh, but but just to to add on what you're saying, it does take ten minutes to to verify a transaction. So you know it's not as fast as uh, paper currency, but uh, it is secure like that. Now the upside compared to paper currency is that if I want to send you ten thousand dollars, we can just do this one to one. I don't need to have a bank. I don't need to send a wire. I don't have the uh, uh, potential to miskey in an account number and send my money to I don't know who. It is a one-to-one relationship, and it takes out intermediaries. That also robs those intermediaries, which traditionally are banks, of transaction fees. So there's been a little bit of pushback from the financial establishment who's looking at this and say, hey, this threatens the current model. It's disrupting that. Exactly. Sounds very disruptive. There's a lot of – you know. for example, um, there was an article that I read earlier today uh, where somebody suggested that Israel uh, Israel would do well by – like adopting Bitcoin-friendly laws, like making sure that Bitcoin is currency inside of Israel, not just property, as the IRS recently decided. And we're going to get back to the IRS. But, uh, you know, he basically said, look, this should be more friendly. And the reason that it's not going to happen in the United States is because the United States government has the world's reserve currency. Yeah. Now – for those of you who may not know this, a reserve currency, it basically means the, the money that oil-producing countries <clears throat> will accept to sell their oil. And that's it's just as simple as that. So we can print oil. 
Exactly. Now, <clears throat> one thing that um, well, we didn't state is that Bitcoin has a finite supply. Unlike fiat currency that we do have in the United States is that this finite supply, once it gets to 21 million Bitcoins, there's no more production. It ceased to, there's no more mining. And then what happens is you're going to have a switch of all these Bitcoin transaction terminals, which were miners. They're actually, the miners are going to be uh, transaction terminals, which take nominal fees. And they once want, this is what, I, you know, basically read online a couple forums is that people in third world countries can have low powered machines as transaction terminals and they could actually make side revenue uh, by just hosting an online computer uh, doing all these check processes in the in the blockchain. So in other words, it's a crowd distributed, but cryptographically like strong system. Yes. Yes. One of the things that was mentioned was the concept of mining. And I don't know if it was totally clear, but my understanding of mining is you can have computers that are dedicated to continually solving these math problems, which are used to validate the entire string of transactions starting from from step one. And as JP just alluded to, there's going to be a finite of Bitcoins that come into existence. So the question is, how do these come into existence? The answer is the system is designed so that at regular intervals, the machines that are doing this cryptographic math problem over and over to validate the transactions will be spontaneous. One of them every, I believe it is six hours, will be spontaneously rewarded with the release of Bitcoins that go into that particular machine's user's wallet. So the incentive to do the validation of the ledger, which is called the blockchain, is in the form of being given this unit of currency, the the Bitcoin. And what JP was just alluding to is when all the Bitcoins are fully released, which is expected to be in 2040, at that point, mining or the validation of the blockchain will be rewarded by transaction fees instead of the release of new currency. Yes. And the way that we stay on track for that uh, 2040 uh, deadline of the finite supply being uh, basically all mined out is that they have this difficulty multiplier that is centralized in the Bitcoin client so that it keeps this a steady process. So we talked about it a little bit, this difficulty multiplier. It basically, it's like a check on inflation. Yes. Like, in other words, the more Bitcoin you make, the longer it's going to take to make it. Well, no, the, this multiplier is based off of the network's hash rate. Once the network's hash rate gets up to a certain percentage, the difficulty multiplier is increased because that uh, basically makes solo miners that have tons of capital to produce supercomputers, they can funnel all the rewards to one account. So what it is, is it's a security measure so that everyone is on an even playing field. And so okay. when, you, when you say hash rate, what you mean is the amount of, and I'll use the term grossly, horsepower that's being applied to continually solving these math problems. Yes. As more computers come online and as more specialty devices come online that are specifically designed for mining, it do, it's not as easy to get the system yeah. to release those coins. The more people who are trying to get the coins, the harder they have to work, the more problems, the more difficult the problem is. Yeah. Uh, that way it scales up with the amount of machines and the amount of miners who are trying to mine the coin. Yeah. And those, those machines are, uh, that you're referencing are called ASIC uh, miners. They're application-specific integrated chips that are just specifically designed to run that Bitcoin mining t uh, client. Okay. So, so at this point, it's a hardware 
process. Like people are creating hardware specifically yes. designed to generate this cryptographic currency, Bitcoin. Yes, yeah, so that all the uh, uh, CPU power is allocated just for this one process. The, the evolution of these ASIC chips is very interesting, Grant. Initially, you could just put your home computer on the network and download a client and you could start mining. And then people started to say, well, let's have servers do this because they're faster and they, they can do it better. And, and typically, and you can put them into a farm and into a rack and but, cool them but, off and But here's what's and... interesting. Somebody said, this is a specific kind of problem and we can design a chip to solve it. And then there's special cards. But there was an interesting step along the way that I think you'd find kind of interesting. People found out that graphical processing units, the GPU, the thing that helps your computer to render images faster, was better at doing that math problem than the CPU. So the step, it went from home computer to home computer with a really good graphics card to a home computer with like 10 graphics cards. Yes. And then somebody figured out that these graphics cards are doing a better job. So these... <laughs> <laughs> ASIC chips that are being made are essentially probably going to end up being re-backward engineered into making some really interesting graphics cards down the line. Yeah, yeah, yes, okay. exactly. Uh, but that's a little complicated subject due to the fact that you have different cri cryptocurrencies that have different type of mining standards. Bitcoin, you have an SHA-256. Oh, hold your horses there, buddy. Hold your horses. We're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the other cryptocurrencies in a minute. We're going to take a break in just a sec. Okay. But before we take a break, uh, JP, what is your Twitter address for uh, Rematch? It is at Rematch Jobs. R-E-E Match Jobs, right? Yes, sir. Okie dokie. And Drew, give us your, your Twitter account. Sure. My Twitter account is at Propel Forward, P-R-O-P-E-L Forward. All righty. And you can find me at Grant Stern. We'll be right back after this break, only in Miami. is the only in Miami show and I'm your host Grant Stern. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I hope you're very very entertained by this chat about Bitcoin and I just do want to mention that the Miami Marlins have started the season. <clears throat> They're right down the street. They're playing against the Colorado Rockies tonight and uh, that's why we have a very special musical selection that we decided to add to the soundtrack just for tonight's show. We're going to be playing it uh, for a while through the baseball season. It's by Go. Pa it's by Palo. I'm sorry. Their website is gopalo.com. 
And the song that you've been hearing, it's called Tabaco y Ron Pa Mi Santa. Now, what that means is uh, I give sacrifices of tobacco and rum to my saint. And, and that's a, you know, a Santeria practice. And, um, and the reason we, why we chose that song is because that is what uh, – what's his name in the movie? In, in Major League, <laughs> you know. Uh, Joe Boo. Yeah, oh, Joe Boo is the saint. <laughs> but they have the Cuban player, and he's making Pedro the Serrano. Pa- exactly. Thank you, Pedro Serrano. So in honor of Pedro, we, we picked that song. So I hope you guys enjoy that. <laughs> and go Marlins. <laughs> go Marlins. Go Marlins. All right. So, JP, you touched on a subject that I think definitely people in our audience do not uh, have a grip on, that there are other cryptocurrencies out there can you i mean look i've got a list here um go for it you tell us because i mean this is your okay ballywick so this is where do i buy the hardware to mine this new age currency or do i go and outsource it to people that have this hardware okay so i'm going to talk about this all right there's 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 solo mining pool mining and contract mining Okay. okay, so you can create your own money, but I mean, it takes computing power, yes, which now, is equipment, electricity. It you have to spend real currency to convert yes, it essentially. And, and right now, um, some people are saying that you know the Bitcoin is too expensive to produce because the cost of electricity is more than actually uh, the reward right now. So you have these people with supercomputers. In a, in a server farm that are willing to uh, contract you out for six, 12 months, right? A certain amount of horsepower, per se, to mine for a year, right? For X amount. Like, let's say uh, you got cloudhashing.com that does one tera hash per second, right? Which is a $9,000 contract for a 12-month period. You can probably gain with my mathematics on a nine thousand dollar investment around twelve grand. You make a net of twenty one thousand in revenue or whatever your gross your gross profit would be twelve grand though, and that's with the current rate being set at right now, which is around in the six hundred dollar range for Bitcoin per U.S. Okay, so that is the most economical way because to get one terahash of power, that's about fifteen or twenty thousand in Bitcoin mining hardware. Okay, so so almost twenty thousand dollars worth of hardware, and you lease it out exclusively. Yes, for for nine thousand dollars for a what six month period? Uh, right. for twelve grand on on certain sites, it ha- the prices fluctuate a lot, and uh, you know Bitcoin is expensive right now due to its uh, you know how it's encrypted. It's a SHA two hundred and fifty six uh, bit encryption. Other cryptocurrencies are cheaper because they're newer. And they have a different uh, scripting method of how you mine it. And they're called script miners. Okay. So what are some of these other cryptocurrencies? Can you name a few of the cryptocurrencies uh, yeah, for like us? Yeah, two off of the top of my head that are really popular right now is one is Litecoin. Um, that one's Can you spell that? L-I-T-E coin. Right. And, uh, a, a lot of the time the spelling is not... It's not like a flashlight. Yeah, that that's else. that's got to be the number two uh, cryptocurrency be, uh, right after Bitcoin, due to the fact that it boasts a shorter transaction period. Bitcoin is ten minutes to to verify the transaction. Litecoin is three minutes. Wow. So okay. So I mean, you gain security here. 
Um, unlike the the credit card network, which basically just uses a sixteen digit code that you know is coded onto a magnetic strip. Exactly. And I mean, the, the I can tell you uh, just from high school. I remember in high school, uh, the the real geeks. Uh, the, those shall, who shall remain nameless, but they were they were you know swiping cards. You know they had the card readers back then, and that's it. It's just yeah. I mean, look like the only but, but ten minutes, three to ten minutes yeah. for every transaction. Now they say Bitcoin is a little bit more secure, but you have your faults within the wallet. So you have a lot of startups coming up now that are creating super secure Bitcoin vaults with extra encryptions and things of that nature, uh, because that right now is pretty much the only area in Bitcoin that I see is you like, you, uh, like you were saying, if you leave your private key vulnerable to someone, just like if you leave your wallet on the counter in a bar, they're going to take your money. So it's kind of the same concept. It's like you give out your Bitcoin, you're never going to get it back. Now, for those who, who may not understand encryption and encryption algorithms as well as those of us sitting around this studio right now, when JP refers to SHA-256, what he's actually talking about is a computer-generated method of validating that a piece of information is exactly the same as another piece of information. The 256 after the SHA refers to the amount of detail that goes into the resulting code. Essentially, the SHA program looks at a piece of uh, looks at a file and it comes up with a unique identifier that goes out 256 digits. Those are considerably more difficult to copy or to hack into than a smaller number, maybe a, a 128. Yes. So the resulting difference in the amount of the encryption or the length of the encryption key makes it that much more secure because a computer just trying to brute force guess the answer will take a lot longer. That's generally how they qualify yeah. which encryption methods are more uh, and, yeah. robust. And that's why Bitcoin is uh, taking off before all the other cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin, as I know of right now, is the only cryptocurrency that has that type of encryption. All the rest are script miners, so uh, script-based. So they are easier. They take less uh, computing power to go and mine with. They're a lot cheaper to work with, but Bitcoin has a lot more value to it. It's a little bit safer. And uh, yeah, it's just it's an all around better coin. But if you want to get that big investment, uh, Litecoin is the number two spot and is, I think, averaging around 15 to 20 dollars uh, per 15 to 20 dollars per U.S. Oh, well, that's that's fairly cheap. Yes. For now. Considering Bitcoin is up in the 600 range, which it topped out around the 12, 1100 uh, per U.S. So. <laughs> that was before Mt. Gox, which was a, a foreign uh, Bitcoin exchange, got hacked. Uh, yeah, that, they got they got taken for like 750,000 coins or something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to get to that because I'm going to talk. I'm going to give a little history lesson. I, right. I may not be fully up on everything to do with Bitcoin, but I do know my 19th century banking history quite well. And it's very relevant for today's chat because until the Federal Reserve Bank came around, Banks issued their own script. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, and thanks for joining us, Brian. Hey. How are you, man? Okay. Uh, let's see. We've got another – You know, we're going to take a break in a few minutes here. We're going to take a ba break a little bit ahead of schedule so we can bring everybody else into the fray here. But, Drew, I wanted to ask you one more question, and this is a very important one. Um, the IRS made a decision recently – that classifies Bitcoin 
as not a currency inside of the United States, but rather property. And I was reading an article that, you know, basically that decision uh, turns Bitcoin effectively into like new gold. Well, it's interesting, Grant. The IRS had a decision to make. They could have decided that Bitcoin was going to be considered like a currency which would then require, if they wanted to make any tax revenues, to treat it like American dollars and subject it to sales tax. However, it's very hard to figure out where a Bitcoin transaction is occurring because most of the time it's virtual. Now, Singapore and Brazil have both also looked at this issue, and both of their central tax regulators came out at the same conclusion. This is property. So what does this actually mean? This means that if you're overstock.com, and you've been accepting Bitcoin for a couple months, and you've got a few million dollars worth of Bitcoin transactions, instead of looking at it as though you've accepted currency, uh, the logical extension of the IRS's um, ruling is that you would have to actually look at the value of the Bitcoin when you received it, look at the value of the Bitcoin when you swept it into the account that converted it into American dollars. And if if the price of the Bitcoin went up during that time, you have a gain. Okay, if so the price went down, you have a loss. So in other words, you buy a Bitcoin, let's say, for $600, and the Bitcoin goes up in value to $700. Every time you spend a portion of it, you then have to account for the value of the portion spent. Now, it sounds like an absurd result because who's keeping track of all this? There's another problem. How there's does not the IRS wa- keep track of all of that? How are they going to really enforce that? Well, there's a lot of challenges. For one thing, there is no central uh, – <laughs> Brian's no central... shaking his head, by the way. Uh, Brian Breslin just joined us in the studio. and uh, Yeah, I, I think it's pretty absurd too. I mean – Well, one issue is there's no central place to go to see what a Bitcoin costs. There are various exchanges in different countries, um, and these exchanges are going to have a different value. So Uh-oh. I don't know how to tell what well, the Bitcoin's worth right now because at this exchange it's five fifty and at this one it's five seventy. Okay, so and there's there's technical aspects that just affect the value. I, I mean, calling it digital gold is uh, maybe not quite accurate just yet. <laughs> More, like, I mean, it's getting there. It's certainly getting there, but that's that's an unusual decision, and that's why you know I posted on Twitter and I'm going to post it into our show blog which we're going to release in about 10 minutes. Uh, There's a story saying, look, this is the new gold. There's another one saying that Israel should step in and, you know, make it a currency to encourage their high-tech industry to develop more solutions for it. But ultimately, Drew, do you think this is going to stop people from using Bitcoin? I think that cryptocurrencies in some format are here to stay because forgetting about the use of Bitcoin as actual currency, the blockchain, the verifications of transactions, and the networking aspect of cryptocurrencies, which we've alluded to a little bit, are really novel and interesting and can be applied to a bunch of different problems. Uh, it's a, it's a com- direct competitor to the current financial networks because of the relative ease and speed of validating transactions and taking other players out of the middle. Um, Bitcoin may or may not itself be relevant in two or three years. It might be Litecoin or another competitor that makes a certain tweak to it um, that makes it better and more acceptable for governments. But I think that cryptocurrencies are novel and interesting. I think that there's enough venture capital money and investor money in it right now that it's not going to go away. It may, however, look very different in a year or two. All righty. Well, we're going to take a really short break and we're going to bring Brian on. And 
and Peter and Peter as well. Sorry. Uh, so uh, they're both here from Refresh Miami, and I appreciate you guys making it to the studio tonight. This is the only in Miami show. South Florida MS Walk for a Cure, Saturday, April 5th in Coral Gables. Registration is set to begin at 7 a.m. with pre-festivities at 8. The walk begins at 8.30. For more information, visit walkms.org or call Denise, 954-731-4224. Walkms.org, walking for a cure. Come celebrate people, passion, and philanthropy during Philanthrofest, the nation's largest nonprofit festival, taking place Saturday, April 12th at Miami-Dade College, Wolfson Campus. Come ready to learn how you can help change the world. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're hanging out live on Google. You can check it out on our website, www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Peter Diaz and Brian Breslin from Refresh Miami have just joined us in the studio. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Peter. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for coming on the show. So, Brian, explain to our audience first a little bit about Refresh in a nutshell, and then tell me about your involvement with Bitcoin, because you've been very busy. So, Refresh Miami is the largest tech and entrepreneurial networking group in South Florida. We've been around for about eight and a half years now. Um, and we do these monthly events where we have between 400 and 500 people on average. Uh, and we bring in speakers from all around the country to talk about tech and startups and to sort of like educate the local community on how to grow their own business and create cool shit. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, no. And I, uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. I saw I and, saw the sensor in back just hit the button. Sorry. <laughs> and, and Peter Martinez here is my co-director of Refresh. So... Um, and as far as Bitcoin is concerned, well, so Peter and I are both working together on a few Bitcoin projects or cryptocurrency projects, and we've been following it for probably eight to nine months. And um, we're working on a couple things. Our latest project is called BlockMines.com, where we're okay. creating a, sort of like a, an information portal and uh, and mining pool for the alt currencies. So we were just talking about Dogecoin second ago so we're f- starting with pure coin is our first uh coin that we're focusing on and we'll expand to other coins okay give me the website again blockminds.com blockminds.com 
dot com. Right. Our first uh, our first uh, coin, like Brian said, is pure coin. Um, within the alt currencies, uh, that is not that alt currencies being any coin that is not Bitcoin. Um, we, we there is a two billion dollar market cap that is being traded, um, and so there is a lot of um, liquidity. But it's it's a more volatile network. There's a lot more uh, risk involved with, with alt currencies because you know some of them live and some of them die. But that being said. Um, uh, that being said, there's not a lot of investment happening right now into the alt currencies because of the vol- volatility. So we see that as an opportunity. We we so we've begun to sort of uh, centralize uh, points of information as well as uh, currency fluctuations, uh, network um, information as well as a pool. Um, uh, a pool, for, in layman's term, is the transactional layer that validates um, trades between people. So if you and I trade a coin, it gets put into a, a transaction or rather a block. All right, and then uh, we, uh, as a pool, uh, c- uh, pull together several miners or rigs or soft or hardwares that will validate these transactions. Uh, so our goal is to sort of um, illuminate and tr- and make as transparent the alt cryptocurrency network, uh, and then ideally, um, you know, move from there towards Bitcoin. But with Bitcoin being the number one thing everyone's talking about, it's it's a very competitive market. Right. Well, we're taking a look at the website. On our web hangout, okay? And if you guys want to join us live, it's www.onlyinmiamishow.com. You can actually, like, watch along. Um, so you guys are essentially acting as a market maker. Right. Yeah. But but a, a market maker that, uh, you know. Well, not in the traditional, like, not in the traditional uh, penny stock market maker terminology. Sure, sure. Because uh, we're not, uh, like, actively promoting or unpromoting, whatever the opposite of promoting would be. Uh, of stocks like a lot of market makers did in the early 90s and stuff like that. Um, so we're basically creating a marketplace in order for people to share their resources and pool their resources in order to mine together. Right, and create more transparency. Right. more transparency. Whereas uh, exactly. oftentimes like, uh, a market maker likes to make money right. by running the market right. and knowing what's happening, and then right. you're trading a step behind this market maker, and he's making a little bit on everything, but you guys right. are doing right. the opposite. I mean, if you if you really look at sort of how Bitcoin pools work and, and some of the larger pools, the, the transparency is pretty high. You know the effort that your, um, ma- your machines are putting toward Towards mining and towards validating these transactions, and you know that your payouts are X, Y, Z. Within the alt currency market, it's very. Um I don't want to say shady. I want to say that it's not as transparent. And so people are putting uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of hardware on these networks to mine for these coins, but have no idea whether they're getting paid effectively if there's actually a, a good return. Um, our system is transparent in the sense that you can clearly see how much we've paid out to everyone, why we've paid, made those payouts, and so on. So we feel that by adding transparency, making that more user-friendly, and providing the pool uh, interface, um, we can uh, sort of provide value to the current. That's great. So, so that's one of the startups you you guys are working on personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what else can you tell me about Bitcoin? That I mean, we're just not going to find out there. The, what are we looking at here? Is it something that you think is going to be pervasive in a few years? I think we're sort of sort of at the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. I think yeah. over the next six to nine months, we're going to start seeing more and more mainstream, uh, like brick and mortar businesses, accepting it. More and more e-commerce retailers accepting it. I mean, the day Amazon accepts it, which is probably a long time away, it'll mm-hmm. blow up. Because all of a sudden you're talking about a company that's doing $100 million a day in transactions, you know, well, accepting it, even if 
one percent or five percent of their transactions become Bitcoin transactions, a they're saving like a half a million dollars a day in credit card transaction fees there, and b you know that's a huge that means a huge number of people are using Bitcoin on a day to day basis as a transactional currency. Yeah, yeah, no, that's well, it'll give it a, a market. That's it gives it a legitimacy, a huge market. Yeah, right. I mean, as as of right now, there are tens of thousands of services that do accept uh, Bitcoin. Uh, there's a website; it, it escapes my mind right now, but it, it'll list most e-commerce and physical locations as to whether they accept Bitcoins as forms of payment. And as that number grows, then the more uh, mainstream it becomes, uh, the longer the, the the longevity of the currency, a cryptocurrency, will will grow. Um, you know, as far as these alt currencies and others, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of um, alt currencies falling to the side uh, because they just don't stand the, st- the test of time. There's not. Uh, but that being said, um, for those people interested into why these alt currencies even exist, the Bitcoin network as a whole provides a certain level of functionality, whether that's um, validating transactions or the way the network works. Uh, these alt currencies experiment with different methodologies of reducing risk in terms of like uh, a 51 percent attack, which is it, it's it, it's technical, but besides getting into that, there's other mechanisms that are being tested on these alt currencies. It could not be tested on Bitcoin because of the amount of money being traded. So these alt yeah. well, so what you're saying is that w- w- there's an ecosystem mm-hmm. of alternative cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, but other things, and, and that's actually making a, a Bitcoin itself stronger. Yes. So technology that uh, certain currencies are ad- adapting for their their uniqueness uh, can be applied to the Bitcoin network after a fashion when they realize or rather when it becomes um, validated. So once enough currency or, or once a cryptocurrency that's not Bitcoin has enough traction, then it shows that that particular aspect of it is valid and they can apply it to the Bitcoin network. So does this mean that maybe in five years we won't be hearing about Target losing millions of uh, credit card numbers because people will start switching to Bitcoin en masse? Could be, or there might be intermediate services where your credit card's on file and they issue instant transactions to Bitcoin, which are used for the actual purchase, so you're reducing the number of locations where your credit card's located. Um, There's a lot of opportunities out there. Sure. Well, you guys have heard about the IRS decision. Mm -hmm. Sure. How do you think that affects the short term and the long term for Bitcoin? I think in the short term, we're going to see a lot of the speculators uh, sort of freak out um, and run away scared because now they're afraid of uh, capital gains taxes and stuff like that. Because, I mean, the assumption is that a lot of these people expect it to never pay taxes on this stuff. Really? So, yeah. so in other words, they just saw it as a tax dodge, period. Yeah, they probably saw it as like free money or like this crazy thing that the IRS would never catch up to. But, I mean, ultimately, the fact that the IRS is sort of acknowledging it and sort of creating rules around it is good for it long term. Because, I mean, we're, let's be honest. We live in a society where you have to, like, pay your bills. You have to pay – contribute to the, you know, the inner workings of everything. And so if you think that you can benefit from society but not contribute to it, then you're really not going to – it's not a sustainable system that way. So – all these people who are making millions and millions of dollars off of Bitcoin, they're going to see a huge tax bill at some point because the IRS will figure hire some firm who knows how to audit the blockchain, you know, and 
Sure. Okay, like, hey, hey, so no, sure, second, so but, firm. Right, but but that Drew, being said, Drew, stop smiling there. Stop smiling. That being said, I mean, there is still like uh, money being saved in terms of transaction fees and things like that. Millions of dollars that are being paid towards transaction fees. So these, you know, fifteen percent on capital gains might be mitigated by not having to pay these transaction fees. So in the end, they might eventually pay less in terms of what they're paying out uh, for the use of bitcoins. So we we just have to see how it goes. Okay, well, I wanted to ask Drew a question because there, there's one matter that's come up quite a lot, which is state regulation. And uh, I believe there was there was an article about somebody that got, you know, they, they opened up a Bitcoin ATM and got arrested, something like that. Can you give us a little? Well, the law has been very confused about what to do with Bitcoin. The first round of law enforcement actions with respect to Bitcoin um, focused on areas where Bitcoin was being used as a cover for what are clearly criminal actions. And I'm referring to Silk Road, where a gentleman who took a name from one of my favorite movies calling himself the Dread Pirate Roberts decided to make a forum for the sale of illicit drugs, weapons, and occasionally murder for hire. Have fun storming the castle. Exactly. <laughs> so so everybody knew that that one was going to go. Too. <laughs> everybody knew that one was going to go down. And everybody knew that it was going to kind of smear the name of the use of cryptocurrencies because there was somebody who was using what a lot of people think is one of its biggest virtues, that being its anonymity, to cover for something that was criminal. So then the second wave of enforcements that we've seen so far um, have been arrests for folks who are changing Bitcoin into other currencies and doing it without being uh, registered with FinCEN, which is the federal list you have to be on, and also for violations of uh, state money transmitter or money services business re- regulation. With the new IRS regulations that say this is not a currency, this is a property, it's sort of up in the air as to whether you need to have this state money transmitter license because, in effect... It's not money anymore. No one's really sure if it's money or not. Hmm. Um, so this leaves a state in a really kind of interesting situation. Is this to be treated like a security? Is this to be treated like a currency? Is this to be treated like some sort of money service? Nobody knows whether the IRS regulation is going to have a chilling effect in that no one's going to want to stop. No one's going to want to do transactions where it's person to business or business to business using it as a currency for fear of having to do really unnecessarily complicated capital gains and losses analyses. Um, I know that governments are trying to figure it out. I know that Yellen, who's in in charge of the Fed, said that they don't have the power to regulate it and they don't want to. So is it an asset? Is it a currency? Is it a security? Um, Nobody knows. But we know that New York is looking at it. And as we know in financial matters, New York tends to be um, a trendsetter. So I know that New York recently had a very extensive Reddit conversation where they opened it up to everybody and said, tell us what you think. Let's have a conversation. Uh, to my knowledge, there was about 2,500 Reddit um, discussions in there. Um, so New York is looking at it. California is looking at it. Um, and it remains an open issue. I mean, so let's touch on that guy who was arrested recently here in Miami, wasn't it, for, there were three uh, for selling were Bitcoin? Yeah. in Miami. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, not surprising. Wasn't, I mean, wasn't that entrapment? Miami. Wasn't that entrapment, though? Like the guy told him, like, yeah, I'm, I want these bitcoins so I can go buy stolen credit cards or some nonsense drugs. or drugs. Was that what it was? Um, no, no, no. It, it, you know, it was entrapment in the sense of like trying to say it was an illegal. Like maybe there's some form of entrapment, but the the mere fact of his not having a license, right? So I've, yeah, I've, the mere I've, fact right. of his not having a license, I think that was 
the bigger well, issue. I've, I've like, actually read the arrest reports for the two gentlemen who were picked up. The third one who was arrested was already in the can. Not a geek at all. Not a geek at all. So the the way that it worked was that the first time, the first interaction was a bona fide transaction. I go on the website. I find somebody who I think uh, will trade, and I say I want to buy $500 worth of coins. So far, everybody's good. Um, the follow-up transaction after the undercover agent went and looked and said, okay, they're not registered with FinCEN, and okay, they're not registered with the state of Florida, they said, I have these tra- this, this currency that I got as a result of buying and selling stolen Target credit card numbers, and I want to transform the, the quality of that currency into Bitcoin. And, you know, it's going to be for the judge to decide based upon the evidence but it may or may not establish a prima facie case for money laundering, which is taking the fruits of an illicit transaction and changing the quality or the character of it so that it's harder to trace the flow of the money. Uh, again, this is these are defendants. They have rights in this country. There's going to be a showing of evidence. and They're innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. We're not really sure exactly what they did in some ways, I guess. Well, it, we have the arrest report. I haven't read any <laughs> depositions. I don't know what the testimony is, but right now, and, and that's a publicly available document, which, Grant, I can send you if you're interested in putting it up. Oh, sure. We'll, we'll post it online in just a couple of minutes, and I'm going to put a, a blog post out that uh, outlines a few of the things that we're chatting about. And we have a break coming up at 55 minutes after the hour in just a couple of minutes. So, I mean, in the next hour, we've got plenty of time. We uh, we usually go straight to sports after the first five minutes, but we got a full house. We're going to keep going here because this is a great topic, and I think uh, a lot of our audience is very interested. Uh, we just got actually a, a question, uh, just saying kind of like, what's up with the Winklevoss twins? Uh, for those of you who may not know who the Winklevoss twins are, <clears throat> they're two gentlemen who attended Harvard University with a certain Mark Zuckerberg. And uh, they created a website called thefacebook.com. I'm sure you've heard of it, thefacebook.com. They won a considerable judgment. If you saw the movie uh, The Social Network, uh, they were basically the stars of the movie, so to speak, <laughs> in a former fashion. And uh, they're major Bitcoin uh, investors. Do you guys have anything to add in just a minute here about them? So. They they control I think what is it one and a half percent of all bitcoins out there right now yeah, two hundred fifty million dollars worth two fifty million yeah I mean they bought it in at ten million I think uh, a little under a year ago yeah right so. And, and so the Winklevosses are trying through this website they own called the the Windex to yeah. serve as the de facto exchange for. Um, Bitcoin <laughs> to American money. And, uh, am I the only one who senses this little bit of hubris there and naming a index after themselves? The <laughs> the Did Windex? you see the movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Well, I mean, it's part of uh, the exchange part of it is definitely uh, a big part, but some of the information they provide in terms of currency exchange, in terms of network difficulty, and other things, which is great if you're doing a lot of cryptocurrency trading, um, is the reason they're being drawn there. And so that's all this money is being put into Bitcoin. We're sort of providing that functionality at the block at blockmines.com for the other currencies and we feel that you know with with a close to three billion dollar market cap it's it's definitely worth our time to try to get into that and and it's been pretty lucrative or rather pretty successful lately since our launch and um we plan to replicate okay great well guys we're gonna all be back here chatting bitcoin at the top of the hour this is the only in miami show and i'm your host grant stern please join us at www.onlyinmiamishow.com we're webcasting tonight's episode on bitcoin only in miami 
WZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications, on the NASDAQ as SALM. back. This is the only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Uh, you're welcome to join us and check out our live webcast at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. You can tweet at me, at Grant Stern, G-R-A-N-T-S-T-E-R-N, and our guests tonight discussing Bitcoin are Andrew Hankus of Burger Singerman. You can find him on Twitter at Propel Forward. Uh, Brian Breslin from Refresh Miami and Peter Diaz. Martinez. 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 <laughs> Long week <laughs> already. <laughs> and JP Elias from Mech 261. JP's going to hop back on the mic in just a few minutes, probably here. And we're going to extend the Bitcoin chat and postpone our sports chat just a bit tonight. This is the only in Miami show. So. Guys, where do we pick up here? We're talking about the Winklevoss twins, and you guys are saying that they're trying to get their Windex exchange. <laughs> Isn't that a trademark <laughs> violation? I was going to say, I mean, it doesn't uh, sound bet. like a currency exchange. Yeah. It sounds like a problem with your Windows, yeah. not your computer. They're they're trying to sort of like... so with, They're, they're with, trying to get SEC permit, like SEC approval, like as a securities exchange. Right. Well, that's, that's another story. They're, that's definitely probably what they're moving forward towards. But um, as far as Bitcoin and any cryptocurrency, there's centers of authority that have information about the trading volume, the currency fluctuations and things like that. Um, they've definitely built a, a really nice interface that um, provides <laughs> sorry, that provides that information in a very user-friendly way. So um, I think that's, that's their current uh, goal is to sort of become that central authority for the Bitcoin um, currency, the cryptocurrency. I think the one I'm looking forward to is second market hitting the oh, yeah. the U.S. this summer. So okay. Well, what is second market? Is this another cryptocurrency or is so this? So second market – sorry to interrupt. So second market was uh, – they've been doing like uh, uh, outside of the market trading of securities. So people were buying and selling their uh, Facebook stock or Twitter stock as employees before oh, okay. the, the private IPO. Market guys, private yeah. market, and so they've raised, I want to say it's like 80 to $100 million to launch their own uh, Bitcoin, U.S.-based Bitcoin exchange. So like a Mt. Gox, but based in the U.S., regulated by the SEC and all that stuff. And they're set to launch, I think, in June or July. And that is going to le- definitely legitimize this uh, Wild Wild West. Okay. So, I mean, y- you think that's really going to help? Like how long is that? Until it comes out? I think June or July is their target. Yeah, this summer is actually going to be a big, big summer for cryptocurrency. There's a lot of exchanges coming online. There's a lot of legitimacy. It's a lot of regulation that's being passed. So it's 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 actually a great time right now to, if you, obviously, I would never, I'm not a, an investment. Um, You're not an investment uh, advisor. Exactly. You're not here telling people, rush out right. but and, if, and buy it. Right. But if the currency uh, continues to go at the price it's at, I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to rise significantly when it becomes more legitimized through services like these. Okay. Very interesting. Drew, is this something you can comment on with us here? Well, sure. My, my understanding of second market is that it's an attempt to recreate essentially the New York Stock Exchange model, that there would be seats available for traders, that there would be limited amount of actual traders. And it's I think it's playing on the hope that 
Um, cryptocurrencies can be considered securities, which the IRS pretty much told us that they're going to be, and that they having a an exchange and having a seat model will, it, with the familiarity it brings, bring a, sta- a stability and um, hopefully then a, um, a feeling of authenticity and of um, basically that everyone's going to find that this is something that no longer is foreign and alien to them, but that it's something that's more familiar and thus breed a lot more confidence in using it, whether it ends up being used as a currency or simply as uh, another commodity. But but is that a good idea, making this more like Wall Street? I thought the whole idea was that we were avoiding groupthink and central control by using this decentralized Well, it's always going to be a decentralized, cur- uh, decentralized currency because the transactions which are validated by the network um, are going to be across the world. There's no way uh, – well, currently at the current difficulty, there's no easy way to have enough uh, computational power to own the majority share of that transactional uh, validation, validation. Okay, wait. That's a great point that you've made. So nobody has the computing power to just own Bitcoin themselves. They could, but it would be it would cost more money currently to do that than it would be worth. Right. It would cost billions, basically, in computational power. So, okay, wait. JP has a question here. JP? Okay, so that 51% attack, I would see the only way that going down, because it does cost more than to, to, to buy the hardware than it would be to... Uh, be on your return. Uh, I would see like a government that doesn't want this going down to purchase this and do that. Do you feel that might happen? I mean, they would have to see this as like a main, a big threat to their economy for them to spend the kind of money necessary to attack this. Right. I mean, okay. Explain the 51% attack in layman's terms, because I believe our audience does not have a computer science degree at the moment. (laughs) Basically, um, the distribution of power across the network is given a certain percentage. So if if you add up all the power in the network, that's 100%. Of course. So... um, to validate a transaction, uh, the transaction gets put into what's known as a block, and the block gets sent out to the network, and, the, and based on the difficulty for that block, it takes a certain amount of time to calculate the response, which validates that transaction. So in layman's terms, a 51% attack is when someone has more than 51% of the computing right, power Right, where they the can consistently... Uh, they can consistently solve the next block without having to – basically, the blockchain becomes um, becomes corrupt in that they're able to alter the blockchain, which is the history of transactions and, and, and transfers of money, uh, if they have enough power to uh, validate that many transactions in a row. Right. So in theory, wouldn't an exchange – or a real, a true exchange that's able to completely regulate these kind of currencies, wouldn't they kind of own the fifty-one percent attack no, or no, have to? No, you because would need to. You have to mess with the blockchain, uh, which is sort of that historical uh, transaction log. So, but, like it's analogous to like say the registry in Windows, mm-hmm. where you have one file that keeps right. everything that's going on in the computer. It's the same. It's the same thing, except um, everyone has access to uh, updated, but it has to be validated against the whole network. And there's no way that uh, you would have enough, unless you own 51 percent of the network, to validate that those changes are correct. Well, didn't the other day like um, Aurora Coin got destroyed by the 51 percent? The reason. The reason. Oh, well, okay. Hold on a second. So. Let's back up here. So there was a successful 51% attack on one of these alternative cryptocurrencies. The reason being is that altcurrencies don't necessarily have the amount of uh, uh, computational power necessary to withstand a large amount of power being dropped onto the network. So, for example, the Aurora coin, let's give it a a number um, X. Uh, What happened was enough uh, uh, computational power was put into the network that, that they were overwhelmed. 
Um, but there are solutions to this. So other alt currencies, what they what happens is every uh, after a certain amount of time, the difficulty to solve a transaction increases based on the amount of power on the network. Now, with Bitcoin, it's a certain number of transactions that have to happen, but because it's currently so high in, in computational power reserves, um, it's very difficult to do that. But with an alt currency, if they don't have the mechanisms necessary to protect against that, then what will happen is um, the uh, then somebody from another currency can potentially add enough power to do that. Now, coins such uh, currencies such as Peercoin, Litecoin, and others uh, change the difficulty at every bl- at every uh, block level, and so they measure the computational power at the network every ten minutes and then adjust the difficulty. So you would have to jump onto the network with over fifty one percent, and you would only really have access to that blockchain for ten minutes. Wow. So you would have to. Go. So, so it's a tremendous attack. It's not something you could do like in a set. I mean, you really have to just one big blast, and that's it. Even well, you would have to con consistent consistently every ten minutes upgrade your hardware to keep up right. with fifty one percent. You would have to oh. always own fifty one because yeah. the next block the difficulty would put you lower than fifty one, and you would just have to add more. And so it would be very difficult for you to hold on to that. And eventually, the the network would normalize itself. Um, and so you know, certain currencies like Peercoin and others have those mechanisms built in. Aurora apparently did not, and because of that, it, it it had an accident. So Aurora an accident. Oh. An accident. So, so wait, wait, wait. It had an accident, and that's it. It's gone. It lost all. Its when value. when the blockchain is messed up, and, and you don't have uh, you don't have enough. Uh, if you don't have trust in the currency, and the blockchain provides that it goes, trust, it went blue screen of death. Yeah, I mean, investors <laughs> of any kind will not want to invest in it because they can't validate that. Do I really own this coin, or is this coin not real? Well, Aurora, I think, was an interesting concept because they were trying to produce like a official in quotes. Uh, alternative currency for the Iceland. And so they had planned on distributing these coins to the people of, an, of Iceland, the population, and then letting people <laughs> mine the rest of the remaining coins. Uh, okay. And the Icelandic National Bank, when I was in, like, this is not kosher, you know, we do not approve of this, but these people went ahead with it anyways, and so it was sort of like a gray area that they were playing in. And then I guess these... Uh, um, Mining miners who wanted to do the fifty-one percent attack wanted to like show that this is not a legit coin. And, wow! Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back chatting Bitcoin. This is the only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This yeah. is the only ABC. in Miami show. And we've got a call in from one of the Refresh Miami, or your partner in... Uh, he's our partner in PeerCoin, but he's also an instructor in, in Bitcoin and BlockMines. I'm sorry, our partner in BlockMines.com. Announce your friend here. So uh, Doug Carrillo is one of our business partners in BlockMines.com, and he's been giving uh, our hosting our workshops for Bitcoin at he's, Refresh. Yeah, he's he's been in the cryptocurrency for a lot longer than we have, and, and moreover, he's one of the early adopters into mining and things like that. So he put a lot of real money down behind this. Okay, so he's a, he's a major player yeah. and an investor. You out there? Yeah, I'm here. I wouldn't say that much. Um, me being in it a little longer than Peter and Brian, uh, maybe another year, which I guess by in some respects makes me a grandfather in terms in, of knowledge. In internet uh, years, that's a thousand years. Continue. Yeah, things move pretty fast in the cryptocurrency space. <laughs> so uh, what have you been working on uh, with these two fine gentlemen? So uh, right now, we I first started got, uh, mining Bitcoin, I want to say about six months ago, um, and just... When, when I first heard about Bitcoin about a year ago, I, I dismissed it like everybody else. Uh, and then when I actually sat down and spent more than a couple of hours, uh, the deeper I got, the more I realized, wow, this is something really impactful that has the potential to change things um, across all disciplines, all sectors, uh, because it has to do with money. I mean, and uh, we all know that, you know, sometimes money and most times money rules. So um, the first thing I did was actually dive right into figuring out how to store this stuff, right? Because, you know, I'm going to make this sizable investment into mining or into the actual crypto. Um, you know, I had heard all these things about getting hacked and, you know, I was well, hey, how do I really store these Bitcoins? Um, which really sent me down a whole other path into uh, really learning the intricacies of the use cases, uh, you know, how to store it, et cetera. Um, now, uh, with a lot of the same uh, mining power that I use for Bitcoin, I've uh, decided to uh, start dabbling in the altcoins. And BlockMines is essentially right now a portal for only PeerCoin where people can come and learn about the currency, uh, look at the stats, uh, compare the numbers, really add a, a, a transparent information layer to the actual PeerCoin blockchain, which is what a, a lot of services are doing for PeerCoin right now. Okay, and your current project with these – what's the current project? I'm, I'm so lost block, here. Yeah, so BlockMines, like I said, is just basically – it's an informational portal for PeerCoin, which is uh, a clone of Bitcoin with a couple of differences. Uh, it runs on uh, proof-of-work and proof-of-stake. So uh, just like you guys were talking previously about, you know, hey, 51% attack and, uh, you know, basically securing the network with hash power, uh, the the lead developer behind PeerCoin, which is named Sunny King, he's still around, uh, decided that another measure which would make these blockchains economically friendly would be to actually uh, mint and, and basically approve transactions through proof of stake. So, you know, basically holding a certain amount of the currency. Speak up, speak up. So it's just a, it's a, the proof of stake is a lot like a savings account. Okay, how so? Explain it. I'll let Doug do that. Doug, so basically, true. proof of stake, what you're doing is uh, you're, you're offering up your uh, proof of ownership of the coins um, as a way to uh, validate the network transaction. So the same way that uh, a miner... Um, is buying for this uh, problem to basically solve it and use that hash to encrypt all the transactions and then you know stack the next block of information on top. Uh, the same process is done, but by putting up uh, proof that you own uh, a certain amount of, of the coin. Um, beyond that, technically, it gets a little deep. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like a margin almost. Right. I mean, you, you put a certain amount of coins on the network, you lock them up, it's a proof of stake, and you generate some sort of interest on that. 
Okay. Um, right. So, so that just it, it gives like a partial validation, right? It, exactly, it, it, it works in the same way. It's it's just a different uh, approach to proof of work. Uh, it's just proof of stake. It's another validation method. And by doing this, Peercoin forces you, in order to do fifty one percent, to actually not only have fifty one percent of the network hash speed, but also have fifty one percent of the coins on the network. Right. Oh, okay. So, so this means that fifty one percent of the computing power and fifty one percent of the actual Holdings, yes, for you to, to for you to be able to adjust the the blockchain to a point you where it. it drops the price, or rather right. kills that, it. It's important to acknowledge that a fifty one percent attack, all that's going to allow once you reach that level of hash power, it's not like the coin blows up. Okay, yes, you lose trust in the blockchain, like what happened to Aurora Coin. Um, there are rumors that it was a planned fork, uh, basically, which means that they wanted to modify uh, the code because they found something wrong with it. So they switched over to a new version of it. But either way, once you attain 51%, you can effectively do a double spend, which means that you can try to spend the same coins uh, uh, twice, which would undermine uh, the whole system. But once the rest of the miners figured out that this bad actor uh, attempted a 51% attack, and once somebody else uh, basically solved the problem, they would see this malicious person and they would fork, like I just said, uh, and start a new chain. And if a majority of the miners agreed that somebody had maliciously attacked the blockchain in 51, they could jump over to the new chain, which would become the longer chain and the, and the valid chain. Wow. Okay, so, so there's a couple of mechanisms here. That protect the uh, peer coin, the peer coin, and other coins that have that mechanism. Yeah, and Bitcoin, you know, most and foremost, uh, you know, and everything. This, these are all clones of uh, the Bitcoin protocol with their own little tweaks on what people felt uh, could make a good use case, or you know, make make it stronger against fifty one or faster transaction times, like we have in Litecoin, where blocks are actually every uh, two minute and fifty seconds, opposed to the ten minute block time of Bitcoin. Right. Um, but so, so yeah, how how long do you think? How long do you think? And I'm going to go around the room, so to speak. I'm going to start with the guys in the room here. And I want to start with Drew and we'll go around the room here. How long do you think it's going to take to reduce the transaction time from 10 minutes or, say, three minutes uh, down to, like, something that people are going to use at a transaction terminal roughly uh, 15 to to 30 seconds? It's part of the protocol. Yeah, it's actually cooked into the way that the system works. That's why they were discussing a different one of the alt currencies that had a shorter transaction approval time or validation time. Yeah, and as far as the the terminology double spend, uh, the blockchain um, is what validates that who owns what coins. Right, the the transactional record. And if the blockchain is corrupted, then you, in theory, can spend the coin several times. And so that's the reason why the 51% attack... uh, So when I buy Bitcoin, how do we do that? (laughs) Just kidding, you don't have to explain that, seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, you need a two billion dollars to be able to control fifty-one percent of uh, the network power. Um, you know, and then even then, like I said earlier, you would only be able to control it for that next couple of blocks. And by the time you were figured out, uh, basically, you would lose that fifty-one percent control, and you just burn two billion dollars. When the way the incentive scheme works, why not just keep the bitcoins? Uh, you know, that you're mining when you have fifty percent of the network power, which is an immense amount of money. Well, it's apparent that just having the scheme alone hasn't discouraged hackers uh, from attacking Bitcoin, you know, like repositories. 
Um, well, they t- hackers typically attack centralized co- uh, pools of coins, right? It's not really the protocol attack. It's not really Bitcoin, but these implementations where an exchange takes the core Bitcoin protocol uh, and then does some custom programming to utilize it more efficiently for themselves and then leave a loophole. Um, so their iterations of Bitcoin uh, have been hacked and, you know, there's social engineering involved and a bunch of stuff. But it's important to note that the actual protocol itself um, has has not been hacked recently. One time way back in uh, 2009, 2010, there was a hard fork because somebody actually figured out how to unravel it. Um, but it was quickly patched up. And within an hour, the system was backed up, uh, back up and everybody was using it. And uh, nobody lost actual Bitcoins or able to roll it back to, to a point before sure. the attack. Sure. So basically what you're saying is... Is that the the actual cryptocurrency is 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 uh, is not what's being hacked? It's it's programmers in these exchanges uh, inability to secure the the coins on their servers. Right, exchanges or, or centralized wallets. Right. Uh, you know, if you don't, the, the saying goes, if you don't own your private keys, uh, which every Bitcoin address uh, has a pair that's generated that's a public and a private key. Uh, the owner of the private key is the person who has essentially the right to move the Bitcoins around. So when you are depositing in these exchanges or in these wallets that store your private key, you've just negated the whole point of Bitcoin uh, because at that point in time, you're trusting them with your funds and the, the uh, ability to secure your funds. So in short, you never put anything in an exchange or a wallet you're not willing to lose unless you manage the wallet yourself. If you actually have control of the private keys, you know you're the owner of the private keys. Or some services like blockchain.info, which is my favorite wallet, uh, have actually found a way to basically produce these private keys on on the client. So basically, you put in a password and some information, and mathematically, they're able to derive your private keys. So even if blockchain.info went down, as long as you have your private keys backed up, you can always have access to your coins. So. Okay, very cool. Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. We're going to take a really short break, and we're going to come back. We're going to discuss Bitcoin and the implications of international exchange with Bitcoin that JP was mentioning about uh, Argentinians, Venezuelans. uh, A lot of people in South Florida bring currency in from out of the country, and this is a big concern for them. This is the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and we're live web simulcasting at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. I see the Drastic Fanatic just arrived in the back here. He's waving at me. He's giving me the two-hand salute. He's cheering for the Mets. It's terrible. 
Terrible, I tell you, terrible. So, JP, you were saying earlier that Latin America is very interested in the adoption of the Bitcoin. Something that we discussed earlier this year on the Only in Miami show is the existence of a tremendous, tremendous black market in Venezuela for currency. Now, before I let you speak there, you have to cool your heels for a second. Um, right now in Venezuela, there's a lot of turmoil, and it's related to the Maduro government. There's a, a hyperinflation in progress that's not formally uh, acknowledged. They're just trying to pretend that they can wish it away. They say that uh, Venezuela's currency is at a 56% inflation rate, but there's a huge black market there. And there's been a black market there for decades. Um, but the black market... Uh, used to be roughly two to one from the exchange rate, the official exchange rate for Venezuelan money versus American dollars. So you would go and take uh, 12 bolivars, or let's say you take $1, exchange it onto the black market for 12 bolivars, the government would give you $2 for that, and then you would leave the country, and a lot of Venezuelans were doing this. Um, today, that ratio is actually 12 to one, so it indicates a 300% inflation of their currency in just the last two years. It was a, it used to be a very stable black market. And it's funny that black markets actually tend to be extremely stable. Um, it's very rare for something like that to happen unless there's a big event. So how is Bitcoin interacting with these black markets? Well, well, the, the, what I've been noticing is that uh, I have a couple of friends in Venezuela and friends that have other friends. And uh, the way that they are coping with this inflation is actually purchasing Bitcoins and then using these Bitcoins to actually, quote unquote, like buy weapons with these bitcoins that's like, a good buy uh, weapon of choice is a glock nine millimeter which okay. is what they're buying um also argentinians uh their 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 government's also restricting them for you taking their money outside of their country so when argentinians are going out on vacation they are using bitcoin as an alternative to bring their argentinian uh pesos or whatever you call I, i'm i'm not familiar with that currency's name but whatever that currency they change is the name actually rather frequently okay. so i wouldn't concern myself <laughs> So, yeah, they're just using this as sort of a commodity to change their currency into another one. So they're washing their currency with Bitcoin to get it into another one. And that's their little loophole that they're doing. I don't know if enough know about it. I don't know how many people are doing that. But I know if a lot of people were aware of this method, there would be a lot of people uh, doing this. And I, I'm not aware of how many are right now. Wow. So, I mean, how much computing power does the average person need? To transact uh, a Bitcoin transaction. Let, let's talk about consumers here. To transact? You mean you to just purchase? Yeah, well, just to, actually. yeah, you don't need any transact, uh, any computing power to make transactions. To mine, you do. I mean, you need some computing power. You need a laptop, an internet. You could do it with your mobile phone. Yeah, with your mobile phone. You could have, uh, they have applications for having a smartphone wallet, uh, Bitcoin wallets. And, you, such and like it turns out you may not even need a computer. There are physical Bitcoins that you can actually purchase that kind of come, quote unquote, loaded with the value of a Bitcoin on them. And they have a private key either engraved in them, and there's paper versions, and there's rings that have private keys etched into them. And those are actually considered a safe way of holding value offline so that they can't be hacked. So really, only one side of the transaction needs to have any kind of computer, as long as one side has a private key number that is correlated on the blockchain with a, uh, an increment of a Bitcoin. So, so basically, you can buy a physical token now. You can buy a token. There's, I just saw there's a Raspberry Pi 
fueled little black box that will create a custom code for you. When you have a certain amount of Bitcoin, you can have it generate what is essentially a paper receipt that you can tuck in your wallet. So it's hack-proof. It has its own uh, security and encryption. Um, I know with Mt. Gox going down, a lot of people are very concerned about where they actually keep their private keys that correlate to their actual Bitcoin holdings. Uh, and there are a lot of folks with novel solutions for doing that. So, I mean, for consumer solutions to make it all simpler, do you think that we're going to wind up with a multi-tier currency here? Uh, let, let me start with Brian. Uh, are we going to go multi-tier? We're going to have Bitcoin and some sort of Bitcoin light. So there's actually a Litecoin out there. Um, so I think we'll see multiple currencies or multiple coins, sort of the same way we see gold and silver and you know com- commodities like that. Um, I think we'll see one that's used as like the day-to-day transaction currency. You know, it might never have the same value uh, proposition as Bitcoin, but it'll have faster transaction times, lower rewards for verifying the thing. So like the value won't spike. Um, and then we'll see Bitcoin being the the value store, the sort of where you go to the savings like the, account, right? Yes. Where you go for long term storage of your value. Now, there's a byproduct of Bitcoin. No one's really talking about, and it's Namecoin. Okay, a lot of people aren't really aware of it. I kind of understand what it is used for. It's uh, basically the registration or the domain. I, I'm not. I'm not too much knowledgeable about this, but I do know that it is a byproduct of Bitcoin, and that it is used as an uncensored way of messaging in the future. I mean, that's pretty much what the byproduct of this uh, Bitcoin was made for, so that you can send messages internationally without having it uncensored. That was the motive for Namecoin. And then also to have a domain registration. So when you actually register a domain with this Namecoin uh, domain address, you have a byproduct of it, which is your Namecoin. So you get an address with your Namecoin. Because right now, domains in general, domains are controlled by ICANN, which is an international agency that validates uh, the ownership of domains and and, and things like that. Um, So I believe what the Namecoin actually does is it distributes that across the network, similar to the way Bitcoin has its blockchain to determine who owns what coins. Mm -hmm. I believe Namecoins is used as a distributive method to uh, to notify who owns what domains. Yes. Okay. Okay. Decentralized domains. So exactly. There you go. GoDaddy's enemy. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> no, no more elephants are being shot. Okay. I'm going to go around the room one last time before we go on break in just a few minutes here. And I want to get your prediction in five years. Uh, how widespread will Bitcoin be? And will, uh, and how widespread will or, – or will it be two or three or – or is this going to be something that, you know, maybe in, I just want five years and if you think something in the future, let me know. Drew, let's start with you. Thanks, Grant. I think in the next five years, Bitcoin itself will exist and it will be used more as a commodity. Um, I think that cryptocurrencies themselves in some form will continue to be used in that the network aspect of cryptocurrencies um, are really something unique and interesting. There have been suggestions that could be used for um, any number of complex counting problems, like voting, for instance. Um, there are a number of applications, many of which are novel and we probably haven't even thought of yet. Um, the transactional network aspect of Bitcoin is a significant competitor to the way that current uh, currency transfer networks are set up. There's no intermediary. There's no transaction fee, so to speak. 
um, although there is a minor fee paid for the parties that are doing the mining who validate the transactions. Um, I think government definitely has its eye on this. Um, internationally, it serves as an interesting medium for the transfer of wealth, but not necessarily as a currency in the conventional sense. Um, however, right now, the only uh, easy transfers of wealth that exist are things like gems and precious metals or illicit substances that have general um, value worldwide. And I think it's very interesting that the combination of the network that has its very rapid deployment of assets combined with the the overall recognition that there's something of value here can, in fact, create a way of transferring value internationally, even if it's not a currency. I do think, however, especially for America, there has to be or there will end up being, I should say, regulation in the form of know your client, know your customer, um, so that it is not used as a version of halawa or um, for money laundering or terrorism funding. Alrighty, Brian. So my bold predictions for Bitcoin, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation along the blockchain. So uh, I think we're going to see things like insurance products or public record uh, information, stuff like that. Uh, hitting the market that are backed or dispersed through the blockchain and using those sort of technological advancements to sort of decentralize and spread the authority of these uh, documents, so to speak. You know, Um, we'll see escrow services pop up. We'll see things like that. And I think the value of Bitcoin is also going to rise. I think uh, right now we're just talking like it's purely speculators playing around with this right now. Okay. You know, and I think in the five years, 10 years, we'll see mainstream adoption at least to a certain extent like not not 100 percent, but we'll see a lot of it and it'll be like malleable and it'll be a lot of transactions where people don't really care what currency they're paying with you know they'll have their mobile phone and they'll say all right we'll put it on my visa card oh no, no, no put this on my bitcoin account you know and they'll pick a wallet you know from their phone and then Target will take the payment, you know, and Target won't care. It's money in their pocket. It's like a debit transaction to them, you know. Okay, JP. Well, I agree totally with everything they said. Uh, One thing I see the Bitcoin going in towards is um, there's a MIT student that created Tidbit. He created JavaScript mining. So he's trying to create um, the replacement of ad revenue instead of showing you ads. Uh, allocate certain power cycles on people's uh, PCs uh, limited at a certain amount to replace the ads for Bitcoin revenue. So I see advertisers online doing that if this actually gets passed because he got slapped on the wrist by New Jersey. He got subpoenaed saying that this was, you know, there was a lot of illegalities involved with what he was doing uh, because people weren't informed that they were actually mining during the hackathon where it was created. That was a problem. But if that actually gets passed and it's legit, I see that being the alternative source for ad revenue. Interesting. I like that. Put it on our site. Peter. So um, where do I see Bitcoin? I see that as the U.S. government and other governments sort of legitimize this as a either a commodity currency or as a property, um, there will be more um, mainstream, more people buying into it. Um, I definitely believe in the network effect of the Bitcoin network and how you have distributive uh processing power or validations like the way that Namecoin is doing it. But the only way that any of these will ever work is if the the only way that these uh, these networks, uh, these distributed networks will ever work is if the coin itself can eventually be converted into Bitcoin, which can then be traded for actual uh, things, uh, whether that's fiat currency or, or products. 
And so the technology of Bitcoin is great, and, but there's always got to be that incentive for the miners to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars in hardware to mine and transact. Very, very interesting, gentlemen. And thank you, everybody, for joining me. There's Brian Breslin from Refresh. There's Pete Rodriguez from Refresh. <laughs> Peter Martinez. Peter Martinez. Jeez. You know, it's just, it's, I can tell you right now, this is like the longest week of the year. And, and JP can confirm that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Doubly long week. <laughs> JP Elias from Mech 261. And of course, Drew. Thank you for coming on once again. My pleasure, Grant Drew Hinkis from Burger Sermon. Thanks for having me. It's it's really a pleasure to be with these folks who have all these really visionary uh, ideas and thoughts about how to take this technology and do really, really neat things with it. All righty. We're going to take a really short break, and we're going to bring in the Drastic Fanatic. He's dying to get in here. This is the only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show. And thanks for indulging me. If you were listening to hear some sports chat, here it is. Uh, I'm thrilled to have the Drastic Fanatic here. You got stuck in traffic, huh, buddy? Yeah, opening night. The fish are in town. I the guess fish. Jose Mania is in full effect. So wait a second. What what exit was it? Exit three A. I got off and uh, bumper to bumper traffic. I felt like I was on the Bell Parkway again. <laughs> Could you be more of a New Yorker? What's three A? I've never heard of anybody in Miami referring to an exit. Yeah, where by is a exit three A? Uh, I guess right after four B. Okay, know. okay. <laughs> This is, this is not the Long Island. Uh, this is not the LIE and yeah. uh, Friday on the way to East Hampton. Not quite. Not quite. So, uh, Drew, you're a huge baseball fan. I'm a huge baseball fan. Today is like a today's like a national holiday. It really me. is. Oh huge. yeah. So okay, uh, are you playing fantasy baseball this year? I am. I've 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 restrained myself. I'm down to two leagues this year. Ooh, only yeah. two leagues. I'm only one. See, I can't do it, man. I've got four NFL football leagues. And, yeah, but football is uh, and I've weekend. Missed, I've been so busy, I haven't even been able to make an NBA league. That's how busy I am. Football is a part-time job. Baseball is, you know, is, a, is a full-time job. And if you have two leagues, it's like working two jobs. Exactly. <laughs> football, football is episodic. You build up for the weekend. It's Thursday. You get this little hors d'oeuvre game. It may or may not make a difference. Right. The weekend, Sunday, it's like this. you're on the computer all day. 
baseball is a lifestyle. You have to be there every morning. You're looking at it every night before you go to bed, and it's like seven months. So you're either going to live it or you're not. It's only seven months. Only. That's it. You're, you're either going to live it or you're not. <laughs> yeah, and that's the only way to be good at it, honestly, is to live it. Girlfriends love that kind of oh, stuff. love it. Love Look, it. If, if it keeps me home, then it's okay. <laughs> this oh, is true. Okay. There, is, there is a silver lining. No question. No question. So what do you think of the fish this year? Stinky? Not as stinky no, as last no, year? I don't think it's stinky. Definitely not as stinky as last year. I hope not. I, no. I, I think their their free agent signings are as usual a band aid in an attempt to put some kind of familiar face right. out there for the for the uh, for the fans. I think that there are young players with promise. Now we see this every year because our our front office likes to liquidate the team and trade for B plus A minus prospects. We're seeing some good young players come in. Nate Avaldi still has probably the, the the fastest arm in baseball, not b- attached to a guy named Strasburg. Um, sure, and, and just, he was just, injured at the beginning of last year. It hurt the team pretty significantly. People didn't realize that he was. And what would help the team is not just him staying healthy, but him learning how to throw something besides for a ninety-seven mile an hour fastball. Well, yeah, right, the old Kyle could, Farnsworth disease, right? Exactly. Ninety-seven's great, but not if it's flat and straight. Well, it, no, that was a nice rhyme. It's ninety-seven's it, awesome. But you have to have something besides for ninety seven. Yeah, big, league, big leagues hitters will eventually catch up and crush well, that. Well, the big the big question when you're the guy throwing the ninety seven mile per hour fastball is can you sustain that? I mean, Kerry Wood, he, there's a guy with the most rocking fastball on the planet, but he broke down. Well, he broke down because of his curveball, and after his first reconstructive surgery, they shelved that curveball, and then he moved yeah. to a slider. It's not the gas; it's the it's the curveball that puts the pressure on the elbow. Yeah, and a lot of it, too, if you ever look at, like, a Roger Clemens or historically, like, a Tom Seaver, all these guys have big trunks, right, big legs, so they have a solid foundation under them that lets them cut, and Nolan Ryan, they constantly can bring that 97 for, a lo- you know, Roger Clemens might have had a little help, but... Um, <laughs> a little help. Just a little, a little help. Did his mom go out to the mound and hold his hand? <laughs> no, it's... Uh, his local, oh, his local pharmacist. Local, yeah, pharmacia. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you look at the guys who really throw the heat, it's uh, it's the trunks. It's the big legs that let them sustain that. Guys who are throwing all arm, all elbow, chances are they're going to run into Tommy John surgery eventually. Right, because if, th- if you're not uh, a really robustly like thick bottom guy and you're throwing hard, you're probably going across the body with some kind of whip action, which puts way too much. Now I sound like an anatomist. I'm like a bio, I'm like a, you know. A, a lot bio, of torque, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too much torque. I feel like I'm talking Bitcoin in here. And then, you know. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so, so, by the way, update. It's two to nothing Marlins, bottom of the fifth. Yeah, okay, they're Jose, playing Colorado Rockies. Seven Ks through four or something, right? Seven so Ks through four. Is he still in there? So it's an average. I, I don't think you pull a guy out after four innings. <laughs> yeah, right now. Uh, you never know with the Marlins. Come on, guys. So no. let's look. They, right, they do keep him in there. Right now he's got five innings pitched. He's allowed four hits, no walks. He's K'd. Eh, only eight. Only, only eight. eight. That Does he have any hits? Come he's on. Given, he he should at least have driven hits. in one of those runs. Yeah, I'll take a look and see. I mean, but I, tell you, the I call tra- him the Cuban Bay Bruce. The traffic outside the stadium. It's a good sign, I think, for Miami. It's like the juices are flowing. That you know, it's Jose Mania. It basically. is Jose Mania. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, crickets, crickets chirping. Seriously, I mean, we listen. I got some tickets for tonight's game. I'm going to be going down there uh, after the the show is done. Hopefully, here. Yeah, uh, fourteen dollars each on Groupon. Great deal. You know, I gave up both my Marlins and my Heat tickets tonight. This is like the best night to be a sports <laughs> fan in Miami, and I'm here with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I gave up the heat tickets, man. Couldn't do it. You know, it was terrible, actually. What, four Mondays? This, this so one game out, right? One, We're ba- one back in it. game back. So let's talk about this. The The Pacers are, 
They're feeling the pressure, they're man. They're sinking hard. I mean, they're, what are they? They're probably losing to San Antonio right now, right? Uh, I'll check on it right now. Well, they now. lost to Cleveland, which I they, think is just uh, – that should be illegal. Score. They can't score the basketball. Well, That's careful, really what's be going careful, on. Careful, because we, we did lose to Cleveland. And, in, and Indiana. Yeah. Well, I mean, we <laughs> lost them on – okay, let's talk about that. So the refs basically gave them the game. Am I missing something? Uh, stop it, though. Stop I, it, I wrote, okay, You so, can't play that ref so, card. So Please, you can dude. check it You're out. the Miami he, Heat. How can you play the ref card yeah, when LeBron's it, clearing okay. out on every time he drives this is, it? This is how you do it. You go to www.heatfanclub.com. Okay, this is a blog that we are publishing. We, everybody involved with the Only in Miami show and a few people you haven't even heard of. But we're publishing this sucker in the Sun Sentinel. And uh, I just called the story Refs uh, Refs KO Heat, Pacers Collect TKO Win. Something like that, right? Come on. You can't blame refs. So right now the Pacers (laughs) are down by 14 against the Spurs. By the way, the Spurs have some kind of like fountain of youth or some kind of voodoo. They literally have four guys who are in their late 30s. They don't even play them half the time. And they got the best record in the league. I don't get it. Coaching. They're so amazing. Yeah. Coaching. Popovich. Has to go down as the best coach ever when it's all said and done. Well, I was explaining the, the show. Except for the last year, Hickey, of course. That's, uh, that's a bold statement. It is. Oh, look, I was past explaining Red the show. Past Red Auerbach. Yeah. Really? You put yeah. him past Red Auerbach. Well, what yeah, about, about to. What about Look, Phil? right out, you know, they won a the lot Zen of championships Master. when how many teams were in the NBA? Doesn't matter. You still got to beat them all. All eight of them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you're one of the eight. Yeah, That's, and guess what? Know. The best existing talent is still on those teams playing. Oh against. no, they weren't. They limited the number of African American players, like what two per roster. You you may remember that they started a pretty significant African American player named Bill Russell throughout yes, that run. Yes, he was one of the two. Yeah, exactly. Right, so, look, I, I, I I don't buy Red Auerbach, and and maybe I'll buy a uh, maybe I'll buy Phil. But Look, that's it. The yeah. only red hour back that I'll buy is is the Ashton. I love the Ashton Churchill. We call that the red hour back. Right. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. So okay, refs defeat Heat. Give Pacers a TKO. Okay. Did you see the photo? This is why oh, this is garbage. One? This is no, why. This did is you garbage. see the photo? When, the well, photo. well, Wade's foot, Wade's foot. They called it out of bounds. That one. That. But not only that, the even the ESPN announcers after the game were saying that David West clearly traveled on that miracle three pointer. So let me ask you. So that's a six point swing in a one point game. And, and by the way, why did we let it be that close? Uh, because the Pacers beat the everlasting. You can beep this <laughs> out of the heat. Is it dumb no, right that, that, that button doesn't do anything. That's uh, a placebo. Got it. <laughs> but, yeah, they just they beat the everlasting tar out of the heat. And I think that, you know, the heat were not like uh, – they're like, look, this is an important regular season game, but it's not worth dying any deaths over. And if you remember, Roy Hibbert uh, knocked UD out of action in the first year of the Big Three, and he's still recovering from that. So these guys are dangerous. Well, they both played. That game was very physical on both ends of the ball. Sure. You know? And to hear Chris Bosh come out and whine after, that was not very flattering, I must say. Well, remember, with these games, these th- these games are like the first round in a 12-round fight. They're throwing jabs. Sometimes they're going to throw a haymaker. But this is testing. This is probing. This is figuring out how these players play against each other, what plays they're going to run, how they react to certain situations. But you're seeing the limited playbook here. This right. is not going to reflect oh, what you're going to see. Well, yeah. Let me ask you a question. What about when Lance Stevenson got kicked out for that technical? That wasn't that. Should, Lance Stevenson should have Lance, been kicked no, out ten dude, times dude, over. Are you in kidding that game? me? Lance Stevenson had no business Lance, getting kicked out of that game. Mm, he was just Lance, showing some Brooklyn time. moxie. Every and, time something happened, Lance jumped up and down. He made his Chris Tucker face, the Chris Tucker whining face. <laughs> I mean, it, the guy is nah, a character. He's he is a character. 
Barely belongs in the NBA. Barely belongs in the NBA. Barely, barely. He can't. He can't keep a lid on. Doesn't speak well for Brooklyn. It doesn't. I mean, listen. Lance Stevenson's a baller. Look, Lance Stevenson's the only guy in the league that has a beef with Jawan Howard in the last fifteen years. All right, seriously. Come on. Yeah. What, what is Come Jawan, on. Is Jawan Howard, Switzerland? Like, why can't you yeah. beef with him? Yeah, what's wrong with him? Why can't you beef with Jawan? You know, he was our 15th man. He, he, and okay, he, he was job. our 15th man, and he did a great job of it. But, like, Lance Stevenson picked the 15th man off the bench to have a beef with. Come on. Lance Stevenson ain't scared, bro. Yeah, he ain't scared. He's picking on the best. <laughs> he, he does whine when he doesn't make the All-Star team, though. Well, he should have made the All-Star team. Come on. That was an- I agree. I, he's I, like I, a triple-double machine these days. He's hello. Play, he's playing. Look, he was the, one of these prospects who was a can't-lose guy, and then he got lost. So he's yeah. finding himself now. Trust me. I got him on a fantasy team. Yeah, he's you know good. what he could do. He, I, he's I know, damn good. No, actually, he he's, he's the the number two uh, you know, two-point shooting shooting guard this year. But let me ask you a question. You guys Brian really want the one seed? Do you want the one seed? I don't know. What's the picture? What's the picture? The picture tonight? is if the, if if the New York Knickerbockers somehow, some way, could sneak into that eight slot, would you rather face them or would you rather face whoever the seventh seed is? I don't if know. if I had to take uh, like somebody for the eighth seed and we were the number one seed and say a hundred times, who would I want to play? I would want to play the Knicks a hundred times. Yeah, I doubt it. A hundred and one times I out of a hundred. I doubt it. Now, Amar, no Amar, Amari's got the juices flowing. Hey, does Amari have cartilage yet? Yeah. Where? In his knees. Yeah. Hopefully he needs Fake it in cartilage. His, he's he been, needs it in his hands. Look at him recently. You know, he's been playing 30 minutes a night and doing some some damage. Amari's you a little know, bit he back. He kept saying that the big problem is they weren't giving him a chance, and I, I kind of agreed. I mean, <laughs> what can you do in eight minutes a game in a, when you're not a role player and you're an old guy like Amari look, with, with a giant contract and you need to drag your wallet on? You definitely floor. don't want the Knicks in the first round. They're easier opponents. <laughs> They're easier opponents. Plus, now we have the power of Zen. So you could we lose in five games instead of five games like every other year? Okay. <laughs> Let's be very real about something. You've got Carmelo on that team. If Carmelo goes off, you may have a problem. I'm, I'm with For fanatic. one game. I'm with the Fanatic on that. However, that team neither has the moxie, the coaching. Definitely not no, the coaching. I agree with you It there. doesn't have the coaching. It doesn't have the moxie. And it doesn't have the personnel to right. last five or six games against about, the Heat. How about a point guard? It doesn't have a point guard either. Well, Prigioni, you know, if they could. He's steady for 18 minutes, but that's about it. I, yeah. I think Prigioni is actually older than all three of us. Not combined. No. But but he's close. Uh, Combined, I, I close. think I'm about the same age. I'm 39. Yeah, I'm about the same age. Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of the oldest NBA rookies out Ever. there he's last year. He's definitely got a better outside shot than me. <laughs> well, he's a cerebral player. He's a winning player. Uh, you know, but the problem is you can't play more than like 18 to 20 minutes a game. Yeah, um, yeah. Mike Mike Bibby was a great player too. Well, let's let's cerebral talk, player. Let's Very, talk. you could play him eighteen to twenty minutes a game, and look how that worked out. Well, well, let's talk about the the really scary team in the East right now that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Brooklyn. Oh yeah. I wouldn't call them really scary. They're definitely chewing up a bad East. Oh. Well, they've very quietly been en fuego, as they say. Yeah, a lot of veteran leadership, and you know, Paul Pierce would love to get his teeth into a little Miami Heat. Yeah. See, I think the problem with the the Nets is the same problem that the Celtics had last year, which is that. It's just going to take all they've got to get through the regular season. Then maybe they'll make it out of the first round, and they're going to have oh, nothing left. I don't buy nothing it. Nothing left. I don't, I don't buy it because they got enough old bodies and enough young bodies in there. They can hit you a couple ways, and you know that these savvy old guys are going to have elbows and ankles in all the right places come playoff time. Absolutely. Well, there's only one guy in their roster that really makes me worry. Who's that, Kevin Joe Garnett. Johnson? No, yeah. not Joe Johnson. Kevin Garnett. 
Not Kevin Garnett. The it's truth. Sean Livingston. Yeah. Sean Livingston is the only guy that gave the Heat problems in these three meetings this year, and he does it with his length at the point guard position. And I think that it's just the Heat didn't want to do a counter move because they're like, well, we may see these guys in the playoffs. And, and by the way, as much as he's not on the Heat, I am a Sean Livingston fan watching that guy come I, back from that injury. I'm a huge fan. Absolutely. Of his, I'm, I mean, I'm a fan he, as well. yeah, the, the Heat gave him his first shot. Yeah. Uh, they did. After and, injury, yeah. And, uh, didn't we keep him for a year? Close to a year. I think that was during the crash season when we went 15 and 67. Ah. Or the year after. I think it was the year after. But, yeah, Sean Livingston's got a tremendous story. And and I think it applies to the Heat's Greg Oden. I think that he's actually steadily improved. Steadily improved. He got pushed around pretty hard the other day. I agree. He's got six more weeks until he sees this guy. I mean, we you know, aside from the next meeting. Yeah. I mean, you know, what do you think? Is he going to make a difference in the playoffs? Or is it just going to be all UD? UD, is he still on the team? Uh, he's more than still on the team. He went six for six to start, uh, what was it, against the Detroit Pistons? Started six for six, finished with 17 points. What about the Raptors? Mm. You, you got to worry about them a little bit. Are they <laughs> are they totally a paper champ right now? or oh, is, there. This, is there something to them? You know, uh, DeMar DeRozan is their leading scorer. And uh, you Kyle know, Lowry's a solid point. Oh, Kyle Lowry's an excellent player. He just—I don't know what happened there. He—he he was great with uh, Houston, and then he—I guess his money ball like no, ran he's, out. he's having a solid year though, Kyle Lowry. Yeah, Absolutely. he is. But uh, but Demar Derozan is a—he's uh, a volume scorer. He—he he is a—he is, he is a consciousless gunner. <laughs> that he just does not care. Right. He is going to get his points. Historically, but I feel this year, his game is a little bit more rounded this year. In years past, yeah, you'd see like 25 points and, you know, no assists, two rebounds. <laughs> but this year, I think he fills up the stat sheet a little bit more more all around. And he, he got that all-star nod over uh, the aforementioned... Uh, Mr. Stevenson? Mr. Lance Stevenson, yep. yeah. Well, you know, DeMar DeRozan's the kind of guy that might, you know, he might play this all-around game that you're talking about, or he could give you one of those 6-for-17 nights with 19 Oh, yeah, points. absolutely. He'll well, chuck six it. 6-for-17, I mean, that is you're talking ugly. more like 7-for-25 like probably there with that go. guy. I mean, he's go. he's averaging 18, 18 shots a game, a game on average, and, and he's really their number one scorer by far. I think that's why he made the All-Star team. They're like, well, this guy's the guy. When was the last time team? we had a Raptor in there since, like, T-Mac and Vince Carter probably, right? Yeah, probably so, Vince, Vince Sanity. So, by the way, what's... Chris Bosh. Bosh. Yeah, it's true. So, by the way, what's going on with T-Mac's desire to be a uh, a baseball pitcher? I didn't hear <laughs> that one. I think we're going to take a pass on that. <laughs> well, anyway, guys, this has been a fantastic show. Uh, I want to thank everybody who made it out. Drew, again, Drew Hank is a burger singerman. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Doing double duty. Double duty. Uh, JP Elias from Mech 261. Brian Breslin from Refresh Miami. The drastic fanatic braving the worst traffic I've ever heard of. Oh. I'm Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show. And you can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. You can also check out our sports blog, heatfanclub.com. Thanks for listening tonight. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern. This is the only in Miami show, and we'll be back next Monday. Hey,